it's me again. This time, we're going to talk about layers and the removal of one or many and what's sort of left when that takes place. And that's the title of this segment, Absolutely Nothing. Opening quote, yoga does not transform the way we see things. It, trans it transforms the person who sees. Bikayas Iyengar, yogi. Well, yeah. Yoga does not transform the way we see things. It transforms the person who sees. It actually, it sort of destroys the person who sees. So, yeah. That's why I like it so much. Um, the transformation is more of a destruction. And people don't like that word. But that's really what it feels like. Um, so, let's dive in. Let's, let's go back to talking about flow, Sandra says. You talked of seeing your dog on the street and how the dog lit up and how you saw that as a sign that he should be with you, a sign of you essentially being in the flow, of being in the right place at the right time. I nod. I'm wondering how you find the flow, and once you were there, how you stay in the flow. I'm also wondering if by staying in the flow, you have an ability to change what's going on around you. When you're in the flow of things, I say, you feel it. You see it. Everything works. When you're not in the flow, everything seems to get in the way. Everything annoys you, hinders you, or seems to slow you down. That struggle is a clear sign that you're not in the right place. Life is meant to be experienced, and the act of living should be effortless. So if we work with the metaphor of the fire, as we mentioned before, she asks, the first step is to feed the fire? I laugh, and I say... I'm not sure you can throw fuel on the way things flow. And that's what I was going to ask, she says. If you're in the flow, is your fire automatically being fed? Like you have a direct connection to the life source or something? She's losing me a bit, because being in the flow and finding the fire to break out of a false reality are two different things. I guess you could say it like that. Sure, I say. The idea of, obst of obstruction and flow is an important element in the creation of disease in traditional Chinese medicine, she adds. It's more like stop and go, I interject. That's what I mean. Okay, so where do you go with things like the law of attractions, she says. Like attracts like is a popular idea at the moment. If you're flowing and having the right vibration, you can attract the kind of things you want into your life, dream state or otherwise. That's possible, I say, but I don't like the way books like The Secret portray the concept of the law of attraction because in the mainstream world of things, people are given the impression that if they just sit at home and think about what they want, they will attract it to them. The law of attraction is a real thing, but not in the sense that you can get everything your ego desires just by thinking about it. At least that's not the way I experienced it. Visualizing what you want is nothing like actually waking up. Didn't the idea of the law of attraction become very popular with the Celestine prophecy, she asks? It's always been around, but I think it became very mainstream then. That was about 20 years ago and was along the lines of synchronicity, basically stating that if you were in the flow, you could attract what you wanted. The secret took it away from that, moving mainstream, I'm sorry, moving manifestation away from flow and closer to will. If I want it, I can have it. I frown. Yeah, but that's just not it. You need to show the universe that you're willing to act. You can't just sit around and think I want a new, insert materialistic emotional desire here, 
and then expect it to happen. It won't. You're doing nothing except thinking, and that thinking is most likely to be non-active thought. If you want something to change, you need to have clear intent, clear focus on what it is you want changed, and then you need to take action to make the process begin. Otherwise, the universe won't take you seriously. Not at all. You need to act. You need to get off your ass and do something physical and actually start the process, even if you fail. I tend to have to do things at least twice to get something right. It's the same thing with the law of attraction. It's a process. It's more about being aware of your true self and being aware of the nature of reality than it is about articulating your ego's desires. If it's all just ego-based materialistic nonsense, well, good luck. Now I take a little pause, and there's a joke to break the chapter. Maya shows Brahman her latest masterpiece. Look, she proclaims, I've created this diagram of a tree with the branches of yoga and how to find you. I'm going to share this with all conscious beings who seek enlightenment. Brahman asks, but your job is to do the exact opposite. Precisely, she says. This is in reference to in yoga, we, you have what are called the eight limbs, which are the sort of branches of yoga. And um, I was just sort of playing on that because even in the, the sort of staples, the practice, the structure of yoga, people get lost there. Teacher says this, uh, uh, you know, guru says that, uh, I must do things in this order for this to take place, for this to happen. That's all I'm saying. It's more, as I'm trying to stress in the book, it's very simple, the tools you need to do this work. So don't get lost in an obsession with, as the title of the book says, asana, positions. Yoga itself as a dogma, as a, as a, as a practice, well, which is now pretty much an exercise. But anyway, I digress. So, back to the book. Part of the reason you wanted to work on this book, Sandra says, was because in your process of waking up, nothing you read prepared you for what you found when you started to open your eyes. I nod. So going back to that idea, if you were to give someone a waking up survival kit, you know, this is what you need when the waking up process begins, what would be in the kit? Absolutely nothing. I sort of yell at her. We both start laughing. Because, I continue, that's one more piece of baggage to add to the pile of things that a person thinks they need from the outside world to wake up. You don't actually need anything from the outside world at all. You must need something, she says. And I think about it. First, you need to throw away everything you think you know. So I guess I would give them an empty box and a handwritten note. Here is your empty box to begin the awakening process. Becoming truth realized, or whatever it is you wish to call it. Everything that you have been told is not true. Not that it's a lie, exactly, but because within the dream state, the world that we think is real is just another piece of Maya. Waking up is waking up from the dream of Maya. Sandra laughs. Perfect, she says. That would be my wake-up kit, I continue. I don't want to add more to the pile of what people think they need. I want to pull them out from underneath it. Please come away from all of that and enter nothingness because that's the only truth there is. That's it. So I have nothing to give them except to ask them to remove all of the things that they think they know and start over. If you don't want to add to the pile, then why are you writing this book, Sandra asks. Ha! I'm glad you asked. Imagine your life is a boat. You're sitting peacefully inside it, floating out at sea. Every new belief you acquire is a lead weight that is placed into your boat. Slowly, as you go deeper into Maya, or whatever belief system you are digging around in, your boat gets filled up with these weights until it's just about to go under. 
The pile has gotten so big, it's taking you down with it. I see this book as a life preserver that I'm trying to throw to you to save you, to help pull you up when all of that shit starts to drag you down. So yes, it's a part of the pile, but hopefully the last piece. More in the sense that it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. The straw that sets you free to run away from Maya and to start looking at things for yourself. But the point I want people to understand first is that they need to drop everything. Stop what they're doing and listen. Just shut up for a moment and bring everything back down to earth. I like to connect it to yoga with my clients. Breathe. It always starts with the breath. There's a domino effect from breathing properly. You can take back control just by starting to learn how to breathe. I imagine it can be quite confronting for a client if, uh, if they summon the courage to say, okay, I want to wake up. And then you say, great, drop everything you know, Sandra says, and I laugh, remembering the few times I've said that to people. Sandra continues, I mean, even if people can drop everything, including their concept about what it means to drop something and step into nothing, then what? If you really get rid of everything, you're throwing your ideas and ideals, along with your version of reality, out of the window. What happens next? Is there a moment where you literally just step into nothingness? That comes much later, I say, but that's another of the things I was trying to say at the beginning about what people expect from the waking up process. People have this notion about what it means to be awake. They think it's nirvana, bliss, peace with the world, but it's not like that. When you get here, once you actually open your eyes, there's, there's nothing. And that's significant because that very fact shines a light on all of the things that you let consume you and take your energy, your life, and to affect you emotionally. They aren't real either, so they aren't relevant. They don't exist in themselves. Only your belief in them exists. And the value you place on that, Sandra says. Yes, I say. Emotions confuse truth because emotion makes false values even stronger. Emotion feeds attachment. The stronger the emotion, the more likely it is that you're going, that you're going underground. You aren't coming to the surface. You aren't waking up. You're just burying your head deeper under the sand. Sandra bites her lip. There's something about that step into nothingness, that idea of leaving everything you know behind, which is actually quite terrifying. Extremely terrifying, I say. I went through a deep depression when I got to that point. Another part of the false self dies off. So where does someone find the courage to go through with this, she asks. For me, I wanted to know what was true and what was real. There are phases. Something will push you to focus on one concept until you reach a point of realization, understanding, destruction of that concept. Then your need to know everything about it falls away, and with it goes another small piece of your false self. Once you settle into that new space of realization, something else will present itself, usually with another question. You keep going until you have no more questions. Which is why you put the emphasis on questions in your 200-hour intensive yoga course, she says. Yes, the 200-hour yoga intensive gives people a structure to strengthen their personal practice. We meet every other month for a weekend of group practice and discussion. And in the months, we don't meet as a group. We meet one-on-one. -on -one. I remember wanting to cancel one weekend because when we met, no one had questions they were willing to discuss with the group. You either want this or you don't. If you don't have a question for a course that you're taking to deepen your practice, how can you expect to have a question to drive your own platform of thought forward? You need a question in order to answer it. Think about gestalt therapy, for example. When you go and sit in front of a therapist, the therapist asks you, what's your question? When your question is answered, that period of therapy is done. 
It can take two weeks or it can take five years. It's pretty much the same with the intensive yoga course and pretty much the same with the awakening process. You need to be actively focused on your question. So in terms of the fire we spoke of earlier, she asks, it can be as simple as asking a question or getting an answer. How do you go from not being happy in your normal life and suspecting that there is something out there that you can't quite find to a state of realization? Something will trigger you, I say, and that trigger will be different for every single person. But something will trigger you and it will awaken an unhappiness in you that you've been running from the whole time. Unhappiness, she says. What do you mean by unhappiness? Feeling like this is not my life, I say. This cannot be my life. That it's somehow not enough, she says. I nod. That there's something missing. I hear it from students all the time. They say something is missing, but they don't know what it is. That's when I tell them that they need to be silent, to listen, to start paying attention. It helps to shift your focus from what's missing to actually what's not working, because that tells you what's holding you back. Is it a relationship? Work? Family issues? Whatever it is, drop it all and come to nothing within yourself. And then, listen. Find the crack in your reality that doesn't make sense and stare at it. So, coming to nothing can simply be letting go of everything that you have attachments to, she says. It's not necessarily stepping out into the oblivion of space. Well, I say, it's definitely not going outward because there is nothing out there. It's all inward. So you have to let go of all concepts of attachment to emotional, energetic, and physical things. It's the only way to come back to what you know, which is nothing, and listen. And what are we listening for, she asks. Nothing in the beginning. First, just try to enjoy the space, the emptiness. Once your mind is subdued, you'll begin to feel and connect with the true self. And in that space, the question arises, she says. Something can come out, I add. And that something will be what's missing. You feel it inside of you. This is fucked. I have a good job, I have a nice relationship, I have a nice everything, but I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? What is this? If all of these things that I thought could make me happy don't, then what? The tendency, I continue, is to go out. Always out, 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 out. But nothing outside of you is real, so you're chasing your happiness within the realms of the false reality. That idea of the person you were longing to be doesn't exist. And the hardest part, really, is letting that go because then you don't exist anymore either. We define ourselves by our ego and by our emotional connections to things that aren't true. That's how we define who we are and what we are projected onto the world. When you get to the point where you realize that the world as you know it doesn't even exist, you can't care about those things anymore. The question to ask then is, why do I want to be connected to this? How is it serving me? And that's where I'm trying to get my students. I'm trying to guide them to a place where they can actually find out what is missing. But you're not going to find it if you don't listen. And no one's really listening all the time. But that's how it starts. I smile. But funnily enough, once you start to listen, you realize that nothing is missing. You're just lost in the idea of self, your false self, your ego. And you eventually get to a point where all concepts of self fall away. And when that happens, you listen. And you're only listening to Atman. Sandra sighs. It sounds hard. I know. The end result seems so bleak. You might even wonder why it's worth going there at all. Yeah, she says. Why bother? Bother because you want to be free from the weight and struggle that comes with keeping up with the facade, the ego, the false self. Bother because once you get here, it's total freedom. Yeah, she nods, relieved. 
Just remember that this is only one step in the process of awakening, and it's really the hardest one I myself have faced so far. Do you think it's over now, she says? That you've arrived at a place where you'll stay? <laughs> I, I, I can't help but laugh. No, I'm pretty sure I have more to face, but everything I've experienced prior to the removal of that particular piece of self wasn't as intense. And that's the end of the chapter. And might I add, this was a few years ago, and the process has, has continued uh, severely. Um, so they've gotten a lot worse, but we'll discuss that later. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. 